What better gift than a Strava Craft Coffee subscription for one of your loved ones? You can get them all signed up. You can get them all set up to have Strava Craft Coffee, that CBD rich, tasty coffee, sent to their door every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. Uh, and you're going to get 20% off all of those deliveries when you do that. So it's a great deal for you. It's a great gift for them. And you can get everyone, uh, as they say on the Nuggets podcast, honking like a goose. Yes, that is honking like a goose. Uh, so you can check them out. Strava Craft Coffee. Use the code uh, DNVR20 to just try it out and get 20% off, or you can get that subscription set off and get 20% off every single time. DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver online msudenver.edu slash online scope out all they have to offer we're talking 40 plus online and hybrid programs 750 total classes they've got everything you need it's the best way to further your education while working a full-time job MSU Denver students work twice as many hours as any other Colorado institution so you can check them out MSU Denver edu slash online to see all they have to offer and uh, you're gonna love it my boys what's up happy thursday and man it feels like a friday so we gotta whip out some tropical shirts happy tropical thursday my friends um yeah i did not get this memo as, <laughs> as you can see um you know i i'm a i tell this to ali all the time i say i say i'm a creature of habit and when things change, I need to be reminded, like, not just once, but, like, several times uh, that, <laughs> that, uh, that things are different this week. So, uh, sorry, guys. I, you know I, what? I missed out. I'll have your back next week, Ryan. I won't let you forget. Thanks, Zach. Uh, well, so- I don't know. Is, is there even going to be a Friday show next week? It's going to be Christmas Eve, guys. Christmas is Friday. Oh, Christmas Day. Christmas right. Eve is Thursday. Yeah, so... It, there, you'll have to do Hawaii shirt Thursday or day on Thursday if there is a Christmas Eve show. Exactly. That that's yeah. what I'm saying. That yeah. I, and I'll, I'll give the reminders. Don't you worry. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> um. So normally on a Friday show we'd be doing this, but someone did remind me that we don't have a Friday show uh, when we were making the headline for this show. So that means today we talk about the formula, the game plan for the Broncos to beat the Buffalo Bills. Uh, obviously Broncos took on the bills last year with Brandon Allen at quarterback in like just a terrible, terrible, uh, condition game. Uh, wind was just howling. Uh, and it was just an ugly game all around. Um, this year they get them at home. Weather should be better, but 
also better is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they're 10 and three. They're one of the more exciting teams to watch in the NFL. I mean, when did you ever think you'd be saying that about the Buffalo Bills, especially after they drafted Josh Allen? You know, I was someone who was low on Josh Allen draft stock. I probably have flipped higher, uh, flipped more on Josh Allen than I ever have on any other player. Now he's one of my favorite players to watch. They've got Stefan Diggs in there. Um, and you know, the one thing I will say uh, about the Bills as their weakness is I don't, they don't run the ball very well. Um, so as, you build, as we kind of build the game plan here, I want to start on the defensive side of the ball. And for me, the, the number one most important thing uh, on the defensive side of the ball for the Broncos is to keep Josh Allen in the pocket. You have to contain him. Uh, once he gets out of the pocket, and starts breaking down the defense, that's when he opens up big play opportunities. That's when you start getting yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and he is very, very good at that. Not only taking off, but buying time. And what you can't do in this game is have Josh Allen buy time. Because, look, you're going into this game with three cornerbacks. Count them. One, two, three cornerbacks. And, look, these cornerbacks on your team are a guy that got benched earlier in the season and Michael Ojemudia. And these are just the facts. I really like Michael Ojemudia. You guys know I love this next guy, Devontae Bosby. The Broncos cut him multiple times this year. And then the other guy is a guy that was in the building for the first time yesterday in Nate Hairston. So, I mean, this is this is tough. You know, you, you can only ask so much of your cornerbacks. So, Ryan, I am right there with you because it's not just Josh Allen. It's the weapons that Josh Allen has. Stephon Diggs, the best receiver in the NFL right now. He's playing like that. And then Cole Beasley, maybe the best number two receiver in the NFL as well. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. unfortunately also, Zach, for countering those cornerbacks or the lack thereof, Buffalo has a template because Carolina probably with another 10 minutes would have won that game last Sunday. And as the game went, as the game went on, they were exploiting the issues at cornerback and in the more and more. And that allowed them to put together four straight drives that had 58 plus yards ended in scores. So I'd feel a little bit better about the Broncos chances if, they didn't let up, and if Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, a much lesser receiving core and passing game overall than the Bills have, if they didn't slice and dice the Broncos the way they did in the second half. Unfortunately, I think uh, Sean McDermott might be looking, and Brian Dayball might be looking at that film and saying, let's come out and do that from the start. Yeah, uh, I think Cole Beasley is going to be uh, just an absolute, uh, I, I, whatever you know analogy you want to use, but just a terror for the Broncos on Sunday. Uh, you know, he is so crisp. He's so good at finding the open spots. And he and Josh Allen have such a great relationship that they're working with that without with the Broncos not having any, you know, stoppers out there. You know, if you had Bryce Callahan, you said, okay, well, you can match him up in the slot or whatever, then you might feel better. But he's just going out there against – like you said, Zach, uh, a guy who's been cut multiple times this year, a guy who's been benched this year, and a guy who ha just showed up this week. <laughs> um, it's gonna be it's gonna be really difficult. So to me, what you have to do is is avoid big plays, um, and that's why I want to contain Josh Allen in the pocket. But, you know, I bring up this game all the time uh, because it's just the one that pops up to me every time we talk about containing quarterbacks in the pocket. So Broncos against the Seahawks in the season opener a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was Joe Woods and Vance Joseph who put together 
uh, one of the best game plans I've seen against Russell Wilson, which was, you know, using uh, Derek Wolf on, on one side to set the edge uh, and really having Vaughn Miller uh, either contain on the outside, almost like a spy type of role where when Russ stepped up, Vaughn stepped up. When Russ stepped out, Vaughn stepped out. Obviously, you don't have Derek Wolf and Vaughn Miller, but you can kind of, uh, you know, go back, look at that film, and take away from that game how the Broncos kept Russ Wilson from making any plays out of the pocket. I remember one time he tried to get out of the pocket. Vaughn chased him down. It was like a 15-yard sack. Uh, so that's what I'm saying you got to do. you got to keep Josh Allen from extending plays outside of the pocket and finding whether, whether it's Beasley, whether it's Diggs, whether it's someone else down deep. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, who plays a big role on this team. Um, you know, that is, to me, the most important thing. Don't let them score quickly. Make them work for everything. Hopefully you can get some batted balls, that sort of thing, and uh, lock down in the red zone and force field goals because I, I think they're going to be able to move the ball between the 20s. How wild would it be if after the game the Broncos win, they contain Josh Allen, do what you're saying, Ryan, uh, and, and you know the question's asked, how did you know what to do? And he goes, well, you know, I just learned from Vance Joseph on how to contain <laughs> these quarterbacks. That would just be hilarious. Um, but but no, what would be more surprising, him saying that or him saying, well, I watched the DNVR Broncos live <laughs> on Friday and RK was talking about an old game, so I went back and watched the film. You know what? I think there's there's more of a chance of, of Mr. Fangio turning in, tuning into this right now than him <laughs> crediting <laughs> another coach in a, in a game plan. Um, but uh, it, it, you're 100% right. The big plays are what has to be contained. If you force Josh Allen to go down the field every single drive, I'll take my chances with that more so than I'll take my chances but with him hitting Isaiah McKenzie for 80-yard touchdown. So a key is going to be tackling. And Michael Ojemudia has had his struggles in the plat in the past. You may see a lot of playing off, and that means that when Stephon Diggs catches the ball seven yards downfield, Michael Ojemudia or whoever is right there is going to have to wrap up and make that tackle right there. Because if you don't, Stephon Diggs could be off to the races. Isaiah McKenzie, same thing. And so it also puts just a lot more pressure on your safeties. Those safeties are going to have to be playing back and just keep everything in front of you and make the tackles when they happen. Don't let Josh Allen go 50 yards in one play. Make him get 50 yards in five, seven plays. And the reason why you need to do that is because that sets your offense up for what you want to do. If you if you let them get the yards, but they're getting field goals at the end of those drives against instead of touchdowns, kind of like the Kansas City game, you're, you don't have to go away from your game plan because on offense, guys, the game plan still has to be Get the get the run game going, control passing game, long drives, dictate the tempo of the contest. Is this Vic Fangio's toughest challenge so far this season? Mm. No, because of the Just, Saints game. The Saints game will always be the toughest challenge he'll ever face as a coach. I mean defensively, though. <laughs> yeah, and certainly not not Taysom Hill in that game. Um, yeah, uh, Pat, no. I mean Pat Patrick Mahomes. Uh, at maybe outside of the Chiefs, this is the toughest. Right. Did they, but didn't they have Boye in that game, or did they not? Oh, you mean – okay, not just the matchup. You mean so total. Yeah. The combination sure. of the matchup with the personnel. Yeah. Probably, it, yeah, tougher than Atlanta because Atlanta, because just because right now with the dynamic element of Josh Allen being able to take off and run, that was the one thing that Atlanta didn't have. And 
as a result, you didn't, the safeties, the linebackers, nobody had to spy on Matt Ryan. When he dropped back, they could concentrate on coverage. The problem is in this game is that you can focus on the coverage against him with the guys on the back end. But the problem is if you sacrifice having somebody as a spy to help out those corners in coverage, Josh Allen will take off and he'll beat you with his legs. And that's something uh, we even saw last year. One of his biggest plays in that game was when he just took off off the right side. There was no, there was no one in space and kept and and started a long drive for the bills yeah that uh that does make that that element is what's making josh allen so great it's funny it's the first thing that kind of clicked for him in the nfl is he was instantly a great running quarterback uh and now he is a now now he's a great running quarterback who also happens to be a great throwing quarterback uh and it's making him one of the scariest uh quarterbacks in the league crazy stat about Josh Allen that was brought up on the media call several times yesterday in the red zone in his career Josh Allen 57 combined passing and rushing touchdowns zero combined interceptions well not combined just zero interceptions unbelievable I I, that absolutely blew my mind Especially when you think of Josh Allen, a guy that hasn't been that accurate, that is turnover prone. He doesn't make, he does not have mistakes when he gets down there. It really, really is crazy. And one of those aspects that contributes to that, Ryan, is his ability to scramble. If he doesn't like something and it's a passing plate, well, he can scramble and either open something up for an easier throw or just take off and avoid a bad situation. So that's just another reason. Keep him in the pocket and force him to make those throws, especially in the red zone that he doesn't want to make, but you can't count on that at all. Yeah, you certainly can. I mean, if if the plan is getting a turnover in the red zone, well, yeah, you're, you're in for uh, a bad time. Um, okay, let's flip over to the other side of the ball now and talk about offensively. Uh, this Bills defense is also star-studded. It also has big-time playmakers. It they're also playing great football. Um, big challenge for Drew Locke uh, coming off the best game of his career. What do you guys want to see the offense do to have some success against this Bills defense? Three words. Run the ball. And that's where you've got to make sure defensively the game doesn't get away from you. But Buffalo has had four games this year, guys, where opponents have run the ball at least half the time. And they're one in three in those games. So you've, you've got to play the tempo game. Now, granted, those three losses, and this is the thing that kind of gives me pause here, those three losses are to the Chiefs, the Cardinals, and the Titans. So the Cardinals, kind of a middling team, getting that Kyler Murray uh, Hail Mary late. The, the Chiefs and Titans, two of the best teams in the league. The only team that has run half the time and not beaten the Bills this year, gentlemen, was the Patriots. And well, they geez. nearly did. I mean, look at how the Broncos, they're built, though. You should be able to do that. You should be able to commit to the run half the time, especially with the way Melvin Gordon's playing. And we know Philip Lindsay uh, definitely has it still, so not worried about that. You should be able to hand the ball off 35 times and drop back even 30 times. I mean, that could be a very easy formula for you. And so I agree with that, but something that also has to be done for the Broncos to win and also for Drew Locke is just no turnovers. And unfortunately, like we said, how this is a tough matchup on the defensive side because you're missing your cornerbacks and you're going up against a great passing attack. It's the exact same right now on the offensive side. 
because the the Buffalo Bills are top 10 team in interceptions and, and forcing turnovers. So this is a really tough matchup. This will be a great opportunity for Drew to show that last week wasn't a fluke because you have a lot of people saying, ah, oh, the Bills aren't or the the Panthers aren't that good, this and that. It was just one game. Uh, now this is a, a game where he can say, nope, here's two in a row where I don't turn the ball over. And also <laughs> it's going up against a very good defense that does turn the ball over uh, a lot. So if you if, if he can do this this game, I think that should be a lot more optimistic for people. Yeah, I think between uh, him and Vic Fangio, this you know could be a massive um, perception flipper type of game. You know, I think Vic has really been on the right kind of track for the last month or so in terms of getting back um, some fan support uh, with the not going for it on fourth and three against the Chiefs notwithstanding. Other than that, I think he's done a lot of things that make people say, okay, well, you definitely want this guy in your corner moving forward. Um, and obviously last week was big for Drew in that regard. I think that if, if Vic Fangio puts together a plan with no corners uh, to slow down Josh <laughs> Allen and Drew Locke puts together a game on offense that keeps them in this game, I think it could go a really long way towards the fans starting to change their minds, the ones who are out on those guys starting to come back around. Yeah, exactly. And another thing is, guys, Drew Locke played down uh, losing last week one time, and they were down one point. The Broncos were down 7-6 thanks to a Brandon McManus miss extra point. But it's not like the Broncos were ever down even three points, seven points, ten points. I'm curious to see what Pat Shermer does and how Drew Locke reacts to that. Does Pat Shermer, it, let's say the, the, the Bills get a 10-0 lead with two minutes left in the first quarter, like we've said this whole season, stick to the game plan. But does Pat Shermer uh, just go completely away from that and just put Drew in shotgun and just have him read the field? That's not a good formula for the Broncos to do. Or do they stick to it? Uh, and how does Drew respond if he's down a touchdown or more? Does Drew start forcing things downfield? Because he did not need to force things last week. And credit to him, he didn't. But does he feel more pressure when he gets down seven points? And that's not crazy to say that that could happen this game. It's not crazy to say. And the thing is, that's the thing that this team hasn't faced since the pivot, philosophical, the philosophical pivot it made after the loss to the Raiders, because we've seen now, you, know, you throw out the Saints game, of course, we've seen now the Dolphins game, we've seen the Chiefs game, we've seen the win over Carolina. And all of those games, guys, have been one score, tight, nip and tuck. There has never been a scenario in that game, except for that final drive against Kansas City. But there, other than that, never a scenario where they faced having to change the game plan because of how the game flow is is going at that point and so i even though you know it, it probably means that the broncos are going to be in trouble there's a part of me that wants to see how pat Shermer and drew Locke react if they're looking up late in the second quarter and they're down 17 7 or something like that yeah how do they we do, do they lose their nerve or do they stick with it if they stick with it they pass the test even though you may not necessarily win the game they pass the test of believing in what they're doing Right. And Pat Shermer is another guy who I should mention in terms of needs a little bit of a perception flipper type game. Uh, and I think sticking with the game plan uh, and keep Drew in, in you know, positions to succeed as the game goes on uh, would, be, would go a long way in that regard. 
as well. Uh, this is an interesting comment from H Town Bronco, who reminds me of something. He says Bradley Chubb strip sack on Allen for a nice story on that number five selection. Is there a little extra pressure on Bradley Chubb this week? Uh, he probably doesn't view it that way, but boy, guys, I mean, the Broncos just straight up could have had Josh Allen, and it wouldn't have cost them extra first round picks, wouldn't have cost them anything. It just would have cost them Bradley Chubb, and who, of course, is a good player, but. I think everyone right now, uh, with Drew being a question mark, would absolutely take Josh Allen the way he's developed, especially with the situation that he's been in. Uh, what would take him over Bradley Chubb? So, yeah, certainly wouldn't that be quite a way to end the game? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll contend that uh, Broncos country would have chased Josh Allen out of town before he uh, had a chance to become the quarterback he is now, or at least tried to. Would have been up to uh, John Elway and company to, to have their faith uh, in him hold up, but, um, just knowing what we do now, know, you know, uh, about Josh Allen, that he is capable of being a top, what is he top five quarterback in the NFL this year? Yep. Yep. That's uh, what I'd say. And, I think statistically he ranks like seventh or sixth in every metric. So I guess a top seven quarterback. If Bradley top Chubb quarter. were, top quarter. if Bradley Chubb were to have a game changing, type of play again perception flippers uh that's what this week is all about um that would that would go a long way just towards you know easing some of that unrest about that pick well the other thing is bradley chubb here is now coming down to the last three games of the season and the broncos in the next few months are going to make the call one way or the other on whether to give bradley chubb the the, uh, the fifth year option now at least have it protected for injury pardon me so I think he's going to get it, even though the sack total right now, seven and a half, it's not quite what you'd want in an ideal scenario, but he is he is getting being disruptive. He is getting the quarterback. He, he is forcing some some hurried and errant throws. So I think he's on track to get to get that fifth year option, but still there's that little bit of uh there's that little bit of doubt and he could end all that doubt here if he comes alive and gets say a sack a game over the closing stretch of this season. Yeah, that would be really good. Top double digits. And that was his goal for this season. And typically players don't tell us their individual goals for the season. But Bradley said coming off that injury, he wanted to mm -hmm. get to 10 sacks, and this would put him over that. Right now, I mean, just the way Vic Fangio talks about him, if Vic Fangio is back, Bradley Chubb is absolutely getting that fifth-year option. And what's crazy about Vic Fangio, let's say the Broncos take Josh Allen with that number five pick. Vance Joseph could very well still be the coach here uh, because that could have bought him some time potentially. And let's say he did develop uh, in year two and showed progress in, in year three. Well, whatever was happening there with him, you're probably not going to change. And if you're not changing the offensive coordinator, you're probably not going to change the head coach. So, man, I mean, it could be a totally different situation here if the Broncos just made one pick different. And what's funny about that, guys, is Brad, Vic, Vance Joseph was thrilled about the Bradley Chubb pick. Maybe he'd be more thrilled in hindsight if it was Josh Allen. Bigger thing, though, guys, if the Broncos draft Josh Allen, and let's say they have a 6-10 and 10 season in 2018, and maybe it doesn't buy Vance Joseph time, I don't think Vic Fangio is the coach of this team. I think it's right. an offensive coach leading this team. Yeah, very well could be. It should should have been probably if you have you know a kid like that but again I don't know how excited everyone would have been about Josh Allen after his rookie season if he just did exactly what he did in Buffalo 
what was it? 10, 10 picks, 12 interceptions, a 52% completion. Yeah. 10 touchdowns, 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, and, and of course he had the running thing going for him, but I can just like hear the snarky jokes and switch him to tight end and all the stuff that <laughs> would have been going on around here. The H back Tim yeah. Tebow role. <laughs> Uh, you can't deny though the running thing, the, the running ability that bought him time because he was because you could point to something he was doing well, and even uh, that ye- that year, twenty eighteen, there were moments where he could use his legs to really discombobulate a defense. Now, what's interesting is that he doesn't he doesn't run as effectively in terms of yards per carry as he did as a, as a rookie. Like he's, he's down to 3.8 yards per attempt. He was 7.1 yards per attempt as a rookie, but he's running judiciously. And it's evidenced in the fact that, that he had, he has six touchdowns this year. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get another touchdown or two on the ground the rest of the way, which would put him right where he was in rushing touchdowns in his first two years in the league. He's just, he's, he doesn't have to use that tool as often as he did but it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. And, and they use it more down in the red zone, uh, which, right. which makes sense. It makes them and, more multiple down there and harder to defend. And that affects the per carry average as well, because uh, he's not as liable to take off and have a 25 or 30 yard burst. Most of the time in the red zone, when he's taking off and running, it's toward the end zone. It's a nice, like a six yard scramble for a score. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously the Drew Lock comparisons have been made just all week because of the fact that, you know, Josh Allen struggled early, showed mm-hmm. some flashes, put it all together. The one thing that, that I will say, uh, if you're, you know, trying to make that comp should make you feel better is that Josh Allen fixed his decision-making and going back to as recently as the playoffs of last year, I can't even remember who did they, who did they play? I don't they lost to in the play- Houston. He made, some mind-bogglingly bad mistakes in that game just just trying to do too much uh and he has really calmed down this year uh and just stopped trying to force plays but i mean as like i said as recently as last year people were losing their minds over you know like how dumb he was being in that game he had a good game but he was making some just awful decisions well, and the encouraging thing for the Broncos is he still does make some boneheaded decisions now. Now, 28 touchdowns to nine interceptions, you'll take that in a heartbeat. But in 13 games, nine interceptions isn't like he's mistake-free, so the Broncos could capitalize on that. It could be a Devontae Bosby coming up with, with a big-time play, or it could be your leading interception guy, Justin Simmons, coming up with a big play. Could be. Could mm. be. Uh, so... It's going to be interesting. I'm excited for this game. I'm excited to watch Josh Allen play. Uh, I'm excited to see what Vic Fangio has up his sleeve because, like I, like I said yesterday, you know, Vic Fangio uh, made things more difficult on Justin Herbert than most people have. He made He's made things more difficult on Patrick Mahomes than most people have. He made things really difficult on Tua Tagovailoa. So uh, you assume he's going to have something in the bag to make things difficult on Josh Allen. And obviously everyone wants to see how Drew Locke is going to do. We're going to give our predictions for the game on the podcast side of things. So if you want to hear that, go download uh, the DNVR Broncos podcast. Anywhere you get podcasts, you'll hear our predictions. 
You'll hear all of the questions from our members, and you can become a member too if you go to the dnvr.com uh, and sign up. Of course, hit us with a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube and you enjoyed the show. We always appreciate that. Uh, but for now, on the live side of things, we're going to check out, so we'll talk to you guys later. All right, well, it's a Friday-style podcast, which means it might just have to be a Breck Brew Friday for you tonight. Uh, if you're someone who plans your weeks around, the Broncos games, then yeah, this is your Friday. Uh, so you can head down to your local liquor store or you can head anywhere where you get beer and get you some Breck Brews. Of course, log on to their website, breckbrew.com, and check out the Breck Brew locator where you can say, hey, I really want some Christmas ale. Where's the nearest Christmas ale to me? And it'll tell you. Strawberry Sky, same thing. Hot Peak IPA, the new Juice Drop IPA. Whatever beer you want on this Thursday night, everyone knows Thursdays are the new Fridays anyway, uh, go use that Breck Brew locator and get you some Breck Brews. Put them in a frosty glass and have you a good night. Ah, and speaking of good times, our friends Michael and Virginia Chevalier Mortgage will save you money if you use them. And man, with that money, with that money that you saved, you can have a good time yourself. Mike and Virginia Chevalier are not only diehard Broncos fans and proud CSU alums, go Rams, but they have supported DNVR for a long time as DNVR members. They're a husband-wife team with over 15 years of financial services experiences. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and enter for a chance to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. And most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all of your options. So check them out at dnvrmortgage.com because mortgage rates are low right now. And Mike of Virginia Chevalier will not, aren't just your typical mortgage company. They have phenomenal rates, but what makes them different is Mike is a certified financial planner and they look at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. So make sure to check them out at dnvrmortgage.com and get set up with that free consultation. And of course, your chance to get a free DNVR shirt or hat when you do. So check them out, dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS 1913106. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS 1910631. Oh, man. A lot of numbers. <laughs> almost, almost, almost. All right, three, uh, five, seven, four, four, two. <laughs> I was going to say, I got <laughs> yeah. thrown off by the numbers, and for some reason, my Zoom name yeah. has just become a series of numbers. <laughs> uh, let's get to the questions from the listeners. But first. Wait. Yes. First. <laughs> but first, we got to get our predictions in. So, Zach, take us through the AFC West. Oh, boy, guys. Huge game tonight in the AFC West. And the reason I say it's huge is because this is a big game for the Broncos. Broncos need the Raiders to lose tonight to keep those minuscule playoff hopes alive. But the Chargers going into Las Vegas, Raiders three-point favorites. They started this week at four, have moved to three and a half on DraftKings, now at three. Who are you guys going with? Um, on the Bet Show, we talk about identifying the cheese. Ah, yes, I've heard that recently. I don't know if there's cheese here, unfortunately. I want the cheese to be Raiders minus three, uh, meaning, you know, oh, well, the Chargers always lose and the Raiders have been decent this year, but, like, no one thinks that right now. Everyone thinks the Raiders are trash right now. So now I'm starting to think the cheese might be on the other side. And then you just get into this cheese hunt that you could just run in circles like a mouse <laughs> on a hamster wheel. Um, so with all of that said, meaning absolutely nothing at all, I am going with the Chargers. 
Ooh, I like that because you know what? I'm going not only Chargers plus three. I'm going Chargers straight up in this game. The Broncos' hopes last another day. Oh, I think you just want to have your hopes extend for another day, Zach. That's I think that's the reason here. It, the thing is, if if the Raiders had stood pat at defensive coordinator and not fire Paul Gunther, I would have been tempted to take the Chargers in this game, but. That's the sort of thing that will put everyone on a little bit of edge, a little bit of notice. The Raiders should be playing desperate. And guys, the char- look, at, look at the Chargers' four wins this year. And you start, they, they open the season by beating now 2-10-1 Jacksonville, or, or Cincinnati. Then they beat 1-12 Jacksonville. They beat the winless Jets. And they beat the 4-9 Falcons. I mean, it's almost impossible to have a lesser collection of dubs in your back pocket than the chargers have. So I think, uh, I think last week against Atlanta, it was an aberration against a team that's prone to blowing leads as well. Give me the Raiders in this one. Yeah. I mean, I understand your thought process there. It's just the Raiders are a mess. I don't really care that they fired one dinosaur and put another dinosaur in power. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, it's one is you know a stegosaurus and the other one is uh, uh you know a uh i don't know some other saurus what's what's uh, what's gruden is he t-rex kind of <laughs> he looks a little t-rexy especially since he just did the firing that's a very t-rex move yeah that is yeah. but they're still putting points on the board i mean they're they've except for that atlanta game that aberration they they've put up at least 27 points in five of the last six, four of those six games, they put up at least 31. I, I think this is going to be a wildly entertaining game tonight. Yeah. But I think, I think the Raiders will, will be able to put enough on the board to get the dub and keep their hopes alive. Yeah. I, I kind of hope so. You, I, I don't want the Broncos to finish second in the division. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would not be fun. Uh, All right. I, yeah, I, I would rather have them playing Houston and New England. The two games there that will be determined by the placement of the division are against the AFC South and the AFC East. I'd rather have Houston and New England, guys, than Indianapolis and Miami. Yeah, yeah. All right, now let's take a look at another game in the AFC West. Chiefs going into New Orleans. Chiefs three-point favorites. Another line that has crept toward the center as this week has gone on. So – this one is cheese, uh, and the cheese is when it just looks too good to be true. You have to you have to be careful, uh, and I you know I always go back and forth of like, well, is it just a bad line? Because sometimes those exist, and that's what my gut wants to tell me. But this week I'm I'm trying to test the cheese. If you avoid the cheese at all costs, can you be profitable? And uh, that's what I'm going to try to do. So the cheese is absolutely Chiefs minus three. I'm going to take the Saints. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Your rationale makes no sense. No, the che- so you, you avoid the cheese, right? Because the cheese is there. It's a trap. Oh, you avoid it. Got it's, it. Yep, yep. Yeah, so you have to imagine you're just a little mouse yeah. looking for scraps on the ground. Yeah. Is, well, this I- term you, yeah. is this a term you guys invented, or is this something that's out there, a common Vegas, Vegasism? I think – Andre invented this term. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. And it's very good. But I'm that little mouse, and I'm running as quick as I can to that cheese. Give me Chiefs minus three, guys. Easy on this one. It should be. Well, yeah. It should be. Well, it should be because 
this is all about Drew Brees and whether he plays. And now the intel that we're getting, and even Drew Brees and Sean Payton's own statements say that they're going to be cautious with bringing him back. Sean Payton said yesterday, quote, he's got a ways to go still, so we're not going to just hurry back and put him in the game. At the same time, you've got this urgency that is looming over the Saints right now because they want to get the number one seed in the NFC, and they want to get home field advantage, and they want to avoid having to go to Lambeau Field and face Zach's love of it, the love of football and love of Zach's life, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So there's desperation, but ultimately I think based the, the nature of Drew Brees' injuries, I'd still be shocked if he played this week or even next week, realistically. He's been designated to return, but because of that, Patrick Mahomes on one side, Taysom Hill on the other. Give me the Chiefs in this game, guys. Yeah, that's what it feels like. That's for sure. Um, I might be happier about this, though, once they announce that Drew Brees is out and the line maybe shifts a little bit. But I, I have been operating under the uh, assumption that he's not going to play all week. Um, you know, they they are certainly built to do the ball control thing um, against, the, uh, against the Chiefs. It's just that that's only worked one other time. So, again, I fully understand that I'm, I'm fading my own thoughts right now, but I got to test out the cheese theory. Yeah, well, and this cheese is stinky cheese, and it's got me running right to it. <laughs> and final one, guys, another game that has crept a little bit closer to even throughout the week is the Bills going into Denver. Bills now six-point favorites. It was at least at six and a half earlier. People are liking the Broncos and their three cornerbacks. Who do you guys have in this one? I have the points. Um, I think the Broncos are able to keep this close enough to cover the spread. Um, Unfortunately, when push comes to shove, I think Josh Allen is able to um, orchestrate a big drive late in the game and make a couple big plays against the Broncos decimated secondary that uh, allows them to kick a game-winning field goal to win this thing 30-27 for the Bills. I'm I'm smelling backdoor cover on this one. Mm. I'm sm- I'm smelling uh, some late Broncos scores make it interesting. 33-28 Buffalo holds on. All right, so both of you the Broncos are covering the spread and guys, this is a game that to me I really thought could be a true upset. Not just with the Broncos being able to cover, but the Broncos being able to win. But those two things that we identified, one on defense, one on offense, the three cornerbacks going up against the great receiving core, uh, and on offense, uh, the, the Buffalo Bills being able to take the ball away. I just can't get over those two. So I do like the Broncos to cover the six points, but I just don't see them being able to win. I think it comes down to just one costly turnover that the Broncos have that the Bills don't have. Whether that's only one in the game or whether the Broncos have two and the Bills have one, that's the difference in this game. And I really like the Broncos to, to, to cover 27 to 21. But since that's the spread right now and that'd be a push, I'll go 25-20 Broncos cover, but the Bills win. But it's not a backdoor cover. It's a close game cover. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's get into the questions from the people here. The first one comes in from Broncos Squared. Whoever ends up losing this full keg, half keg debate should have to do a keg stand on the tailgate show. 
cheers, gents. And uh, Zach, I, I don't know if you want to take this bet. Yeah, no, I definitely don't want to take this bet because, uh, you know, I, I looked at the comments earlier and uh, we had an expert Peter. chime in. <laughs> several. Peter. Oh, several. several. But I don't I, – maybe I misremember. I, we'll get to it when we get to the comments, but I think I'm right. No, you're wrong. Okay, so here's the next one here from D-Dubs. Sorry, it's been a while, Jen. As your resident on-premise beer salesman in Colorado Springs – the shutdowns have been brutal and my headspace is all over the place. No worries. I still get to the pod every day. Well, hopefully things turn around for you, D-dubs. I don't think you're alone in feeling that way. Uh, the call to action was heard loud and clear. Zach and RK, you're both kind of right, but I got to give the dub to RK. Oh, the half barrel, 15.5 gallons, roughly 160 pounds full, is the largest commercially available keg in the U.S., there are, of course, quarter barrels known as pony kegs or one-sixth of barrels known as sixtals or cylinders. The 13-and-a-half-gallon barrels imported beers are now mini kegs. The naming convention is weird, but I believe they are called half barrels because it contains half of a barrel from the brewing process and volume is measured in barrels. There are no, there are no um, one-of-one barrels to be sold, oh, like full barrels to be sold anywhere if they exist, the greedy brewers keep them for themselves. <laughs> Cheers, gents. And RK, if you need help dealing with those kegs you've got in your cooler, I would strongly consider making a trip up north. <laughs> well, guy, didn't I say they're called half kegs? I mean, wasn't that my argument? Yes, your, your argument was that kegs are, called, are actually half kegs. Right, yeah, they're called half kegs. That's what, that's what he's saying. No, he's saying they're half <laughs> barrels. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, so the, that's what got me, not the half. It's the barrel to keg. Right. One half barrel equal, equals one full keg. Unless the brewers are hiding something, which we don't know. Yeah, um, I think just like in the interest of safety for college students, <laughs> they're never going to release the full barrel keg. <laughs> Probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, D-Dubs, we very much appreciate your insights. And uh, looks like Zach's going to be doing a keg stand here. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I look forward to that. Of a full keg or a half keg? Pony keg. A pony? I could do a pony keg. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't finish it, though. That would be bad. Yes, that would be bad. <laughs> Next one coming in from Cam Walter. I don't understand the Minshew conversation. Minshew? I thought we were trying to get away from mediocrity. Drew still has the promise, and Rippon is the perfect backup. But if, if we do need to start over, I hope we aim higher than a Gardner Minshew. Thanks for the great content, boys. Cheers. Well, no one said it's, make Gardner Minshew the starter next year. He's just a, he's a much better backup than, than Brett Rippon. Uh, and that's no slight yeah. on Brett Rippon. It's just Gardner Minshew has started in this league. He's won games in this league, um, and he was – you know, uh, uh, he he's a good player, I think, to have on your team. Yeah, Brett Rippon is fine if your starter is like John Elway. Like if he's the Gary Kubiak to, to John Elway, or if you've got an elite guy today, then Brett Rippon is a perfectly fine backup. But Drew Locke has not proven yet that he's anywhere close to that sort of level. Thus, it's it's better to have just another, you know, another possibility, another another guy in the bullpen warming up i mean this you know th this sort of th thought process it worked for tennessee they bring in ryan Tannehill, and he's sitting there he's at the ready 
Marcus Mariota fades. They put Tannehill in. He proves to be the right guy. It's, it's the fact that you have somebody in there who is viable. Brett Rippon, he's not a viable guy if you have to go with him for the long term. You can't you, – you, and I don't, and frankly, I don't think Drew Locke has shown enough to where you're, you know, as they say, like in college applications, you suicide, you go for one school. I don't, and don't apply to any other schools. I think Drew Locke, unless he plays otherworldly the next three games, that's not enough to be the guy where you're suiciding with. You need, a, you need another option just in case because you don't want to waste all the talent that you have next year. Yeah, he, Gardner Minshew is a, is a good hedge. Uh, I mean, a great hedge in my mind. I just I, I'm with you, Cam. I don't like hedges either because I want it to either be kind of all in on Drew uh, or all in on someone else. So I totally understand what you're coming. But yeah, Gardner Minshew wouldn't be a guy that you're all in on. No, not at all. Windy City Broncos says, reading my comments yesterday, definitely not saying Flacco is the future of this franchise. I'm gonna need to drink a whole keg to wash that thought from my brain. Yikes! Wait, a whole keg or a whole half a keg? <laughs> no, uh, you mean a whole keg or a whole barrel? Oh, or a half a whole barrel. Half a whole, oh, yeah. Yeah, half a whole barrel. <laughs> oh. Man, I don't drink enough beer for this to ever be a consider consideration. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, I see the kegs or, or whatever they, they're called, whatever, the pony kegs, whatever. I couldn't imagine drinking that much beer. I just couldn't. I don't think time, anyone could. One time I thought that I could just – chug an unlimited amount like i was like i'm pretty sure i could just never stop i could just never tap out on chugging so i you know this was uh many moons ago i tried to fill up a whole orange juice carton um with beer and chug the whole thing and i legitimately made it like maybe a quarter of the way maybe before and then i was did like it, did it come up or did you just nope. have to stop okay i just had to stop I, like i never felt the feeling of just i filled my entire stomach with liquid i was like oh so this is how you tap out you were foaming at your mouth because the foam was just coming up basically yeah that was a, <laughs> one of my worst ideas i was i think 18 years old i Don't think drink underage i think we all we all need those uh type of experiences to show us that we're all human Right, right, yeah. That's, that's prime invincibility years. <laughs> Next one. Senior prom. Oh, wow. Yeah, good <laughs> Next one from Free Philip Lindsay. I'm sure you guys will be talking scenarios and expected scores for the Bills game anyway, but I'll say the ideal scenario in my mind is a loss, but Locke playing well. Let's get that good draft position. We've also talked a lot about the Broncos draft might what the Broncos draft might look like, but we haven't had as much discussion on who we might add in free agency besides quarterbacks. Who would you guys like to see brought in and who could be available? Do we even have many weak spots where free agency makes sense or would it be all based on whether guys like Casey or Boye come back? I also think our cap room will be tight, but I'm not tracking the cap situation very closely. Yeah, the cap room is sort of is sort of where it's at on this. I mean, basically re-signing Garrett Bowles it, that's probably going to be one of your two biggest quasi free agent moves. And then if they get something done with Justin Simmons here in the, in the early part of 2021, uh, whether it's a, whether it's a long-term deal or a franchise tag that would be kind of a, a stopgap, a placeholder to a long-term deal, similar to Marcus Lawrence getting the second franchise tag with the Cowboys back in 2019 and signing a deal right after that. I think those are going to be the big deals. I, I, the Broncos, I expect, compared to previous years, are going to be very quiet on the market 
Some of that is focused on the guys they're re-signing and Shelby Harris in that mix as well. And some of it is the fact that the, the salary cap might be there, $175 million and limit what they can do. Yeah, Broncos are in an unusual spot right now where they're having to re-sign their own guys because they drafted well and like those guys. So, yeah, you're not going to see as much free agency. And that's why we haven't talked about it as much. Yeah, I mean, and, and I've even been – I've been reminded recently, you know, we've talked a lot about the potential of adding a linebacker. Well, they have Justin Sternod, and they love him. So yeah, I don't even I mean, know if they're going to go in that direction. Yeah, and they love Alexander Johnson, and Vic Fangio loves Josie Jewell the way he's played too. So I think those three are your linebackers yeah. next year. Mark IT Snatch. Hey, guys, and the race to comment goes to the Colorado Eagle salesman over the keg one warehouse worker. Weirdly enough, I got to this point on the pod as I was throwing a pallet of kegs. Wow, if you can do that, it might be uh, Paul Bunyan. Um, D-Dubs nailed it, but I'll explain further. A barrel is actually a unit of measurement dating back over a thousand years and means a different size from country to country. Uh, usually boils down to we have 50 barrels of oil on the ship is much easier to count than saying we have 2,100 gallons of oil on the ship. In the beer world, prior to the invention of the steel keg, beer was stored in wooden barrels. In the U.S., a barrel is 31 gallons. Since a barrel weighs 320-ish pounds, someone got wise and invented an easier way to transport large quantities of beers. Enter the keg. Kegs in one-half, one-fourth, and one-sixth barrels. In all, this means that one half barrel keg of, uh, of Breckenridge Christmas Ale yields 6.9 cases, 165.312 ounce bottles, 125 pints, or 90.2 member beers at the DNVR bar. Cheers. <laughs> that is an awesome comment, Mark IT Snatch. You guys are killing it with these. Uh, and yeah, I don't think anyone could crush one of those half barrel kegs. 90 member beers. Don't think it's happening. Well, yeah. they could. They'd be dead, but they could. I, I don't think even they would think die so. first. As yeah. proven by my uh, my attempts to <laughs> chug one gallon of beer, uh, it's not possible. <laughs> oh, I will man. say, like four member beers uh, is a is a lot. That's yeah. what I'll say. That would do you. In. Could you imagine chugging four in a row? No, I couldn't. <laughs> that would be your gallon. Yeah, it probably would. Oh. oh, man. So, Von Miller's Chicken Farm. Howdy, gents. Thinking about the Ruggs versus Hamler com conversation from a couple of pods back, I would have to prefer Hamler. At this point, production is the same for a second rounder versus a first. Thinking about draft picks here in Elway's shoes, would you rather have your first rounder at 15, or would you rather have a trove of mid-round picks? For 1,050 value points, that first could be a mid-second, two-thirds, two-fourths, on top of the usual two-three-four this year. All that young depth has to tempt many GMs, especially on cash-strapped teams. Just potentially hurts missing on missing blue-chip talent. Thanks for the pot, as always. Well, I, I, I don't think we were thinking of it in terms of draft value for Ruggs right. and Hamler. Just straight up, who would you rather have? Of course, on draft value, if you're factoring that, 100%, you'll take Hamler all day and twice on Sunday. Yeah. This is, uh, this is an interesting question, though, because he finished by saying just potentially hurts on missing blue-chip talent. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, the, I, the, in my opinion, the Broncos are trending themselves out of the blue-chip talent area. Now, they got lucky this last year, I think, by getting Jerry Judy, who I do believe is a blue-chip talent, at 15. But I think that any time you are outside of the top 14 your chances of 
missing out on blue chip ta talent is very high. Um, now, of course, you could go through and tell me a million really good, uh, you know, guys who are picked at 15 and beyond um, and tell me, you know, those guys are blue chip talents. I'm sure there are a bunch. But I think once you pass 10, the chance of hitting on a blue chip talent goes down exponentially with every pick. Yeah, it, it certainly does. So now the question would be, since you've said that, would you rather have a top 10 player and let's say, you know, the 10th best player who would be blue chip, or would you rather have those two seconds, two thirds and a fourth? If I'm picking it, if I'm picking it 16 or lower, I'm, I'm open to that trade. Hmm. Yeah, because what I want, I, it, I'm a sucker for the great players. So it's going to be really hard for me to pass up on one of them if they're there. Here, um, here's, here, but here's the problem, though, for the Broncos. Look at the roster and look at the guys you got coming back from injury last year. And this is going to factor into their decisions is where's going to be this, where would be this, the space be for all of these guys on the team? And I could actually, and that's one reason why. I could see them on day three using day th – could, I could see them taking that day three capital to maybe move up a little bit on day two or get some future capital because one thing they always do going into the draft is they look at the roster and say, okay, where are the spots that we're kind of – that we're looking to fill and, you know, which guys are going to make the team? I think they'll take a look at this roster – and not see a lot of spaces for guys that they're going to pick on day three. So this could be a year when the Broncos are trading out and, and accumulating future capital or using day three capital to move up. Later, well, how earlier. about this? This is what would excite me trading that pick and some uh, mid round picks to move up. So you get your higher chance of getting that elite talent. That that's my, uh, that's my kind of thing. Yep. I love that. <clears throat> um, a reminder about Santa's workshop open at Kiwa Island this weekend. That's on WGT, and you can download it at dnvrgolf.com to get in on WGT. And then go in and join the DNVR4, all caps, no spaces, country club, and then go into club tournaments where starting tonight or tomorrow, you'll see the Santa's workshop open at Kiwa Island. And uh, it's the closest to the whole tournament. All of ours are these days. <clears throat> the reason we do that is because it's a much smaller time commitment. I mean, you could play one of these in 10, 15 minutes. And once you do, you'll be entered to win a DNVR shirt or hat of your choice without having to even play well. All you got to do is send us a screenshot that you played at all. And every entry is another entry into our grand prize drawing. So make sure you're playing every week and getting those entries in so you can get in on that sick grand prize. That's dnvrgolf.com to download the WGT app. Speaking of winning things, and you don't have to do much to do that, Green Mountain Dental. Our friends over at Green Mountain Dental are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you visit them and schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. So all you have to do is take care of your teeth for them to hand over a free Sonicare toothbrush. And guys, I have a Sonicare toothbrush myself, and it is perfect. It tells you how long to brush for, tells you how hard you're brushing. It is perfect. So make sure to check out Green Mountain Dental. Schedule that cleaning x-ray exam, and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Guys, they're only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. They're a longtime DNVR partner. And most importantly, they treat you like family, and they've treated us like family for many years. So you will get along with them. And they're big-time Colorado sports fans. So you can talk sports with them, get your teeth cleaned, 
support a family member of our DNVR community and schedule that cleaning x-ray and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush over at Green Mountain Dental. So Orange and Blue Aussie chimes in. We've been talking about Carson Wentz on and off for the last couple weeks, and we haven't gone into the details of just how bad it is uh, for the Eagles, so he does it. Uh, he says, I feel the need to explain the Carson Wentz contract fiasco, as most people don't get how huge of a problem this is for the Eagles. If the Eagles cut or traded Wentz before the start of the 2021 season, he would cost them just over $137 million against the cap. Once the 21 season starts in mid-March, it drops to just under $84 million, still just short of the, uh, 50% of the projected cap, $175 million. Finally, in 2022 and possibly after June 1st, 2021, the dead money is a substantial $24 million, but there is a cap savings of $6.7 million. Even at this point, he's $22 million against the cap if the Eagles eat the prorated signing bonus they're going to cut him this is the time still hard to get a trade done with the high salary based on performance uh gets a tiny bit better in 2023 dead money of 15 cap savings of 19 million so clearly the eagles are in salary cap hell uh but that's good as he's not needed in denver our crack house couldn't afford him anyway and i'm glad for that eagles have to reclaim him or they are stuffed Oh, they're big time intro. I mean, this is the worst case scenario you could have is signing up a quarterback to a huge deal and having him be benched for a second round pick. That is as bad as it gets for an organization. I, ju- I like just have to believe that there's some loophole <laughs> that they can use to get out of this uh, or that some team will be desperate enough that they'll, they'll be able to trade this thing. Uh, like, I've just never seen a team be stuck like this before. So I, I just have to assume there's some sort of trick to get out of here. Guys, you know who just followed the DNVR Broncos account? Their Twitter handle is at KegsCo. I mean, nice. <laughs> you can't make that oh, up. That's perfect. <laughs> it really is. Can you also believe $137 million against the cap if they were to move on from him after this year? That's I mean, it's not possible. No, you can't do that. That yeah. is wild. I can't believe there's ever a contract that has that. Do you think uh, maybe the, the way out is just like begging Carson Wentz to forego some of his money? To uh, honestly, like give him a new contract, a restructured contract with a massive signing bonus, and that's his departure? Maybe. Yeah, like some sort of settlement. Like, hey, look, you're stuck here. You don't want to be a backup. We're stuck with you. We don't want to pay you all that money. Uh, so we'll give you a $50 million right. signing bonus to leave. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, really, the, the other contracts that are like this, guys, are quarterbacks. Like, for example, not that this would happen, but if the Chiefs cut Patrick Mahomes oh my with a post-June 1 designation <laughs> next year, it would cost them just under $84 million. Wow. That seems low compared to what we just heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. <laughs> wow, yeah. that is crazy. But, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. A, it's a great point, Orange and Blue Ozzy, just about how unrealistic Carson Wentz seems to be on any other team. I have a plan uh, for the Eagles and Carson Wentz. Get him out of the pocket like you did with Jalen Hurts. Uh, like, if I'm Carson Wentz, I am throwing an absolute fit, maybe behind closed doors, maybe to someone's face this week. He, he is very good at getting outside of the pocket. And heading into Sunday, the Eagles had gotten their quarterback on, out on rollouts less, or, yeah, less than anyone else in the NFL. Then they decide to just bring in Jalen Hurts and run the game plan that would totally work with Carson Wentz 
that they just refuse to do. It makes no sense to me. Uh, so their reclamation project involves actually calling plays to his strengths. Yeah, that is, that is crazy. But, hey, if Jalen Hurts keeps balling out, winning games, and wins the division, they maybe they'll never go back to Carson. Just an expensive backup. $50 million departure bonus. <laughs> Next one coming in from Dan Burke. Hey, guys, I asked you all about this last week, but I thought it was interesting that Vic brought it up himself when he said that a future head coach had asked if he had, if he had any more Brandon Staley's on the coaching staff. I think May suggested last time that Ronaldo Hill is someone who could be that but I think he hasn't been around Vic enough to have been uh, ingrained in the defense, like someone like Ed Donatel has. Can you see a scenario where Vic lets Ed Donatel go if he can call plays for? And if so, who do you think will get promoted to D.C.? I just well, personally don't see Ed Donatel being the Brandon Staley. The Brandon Staley's that young guy uh, who teams think can be like the next Sean McVay, in my opinion. Right. So, so a couple of questions here. What do you think Vic answered? I would think yes, right? I mean, he's like, nope, no right? more of those. Bad uh, staff now. Yeah, <laughs> staff is trapped. And the and the coordinators, like you know, Donatel, look at their experience. Donatel's you know, twenty nine years of NFL experience. John Pagano is you know been in the NFL twenty five years, coaching the edge rushers. Bill Kolar's thirty one years, and Reggie Herring's only been in the NFL for 14 years but I mean he's been coaching since what like the since like the 1980s basically the early 80s because he has a lot of college experience I mean literally you're like okay there who's the guy who fits the description here it's only Ronaldo Hill right now uh I mean yeah it is uh and it's part of the problem in my opinion the Broncos have the oldest coaching staff in football uh need some young blood around there um yeah but who like overall like who's the best assistant coach on the staff right it's mike munchak he's been around right. for 26 years as, as a coach so I, I i'm i'm not of the belief that it's that experience is necessarily a bad thing if it's the right kind of experience i mean munchak and bill kolar still are regarded as if not the best in the very best two or three position coaches for their groups Right. What I want is young guys around those guys so they can learn things from those guys uh, and, and become the next big time coaches like a Brandon Staley, who probably learned a lot from Bill Kolar and Vic Fangio. So uh, like Chris Cooper, then do you like him being around Mike Munchak? Exactly. I really liked having TC McCartney on the staff. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the young blood is a good thing to have. It also helps in connecting with the players. Um, the other question I have is who do you think it was? Ah, yes. That's, I mean, who is a future potential head coach? Brandon Staley. <laughs> Yo, Vic, you got any more me's around? <laughs> um, Eric Bieniemy. Oh, yeah, could be. Um, who else is hot on the list? Brian Dable? Yeah, could be. Hey, Vic, I'm coming to your house soon. Can you give me some advice? Right, like anyone that I need to have dinner with when I come to Denver? Oh, and Vic would say, no, 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 you're not giving COVID to any of my guys. Um, I, I, that's my guess. That's my guess. Yeah, I like those. Those are, those are good guesses. Any other guesses Count out lot, there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Dabo Sweeney. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, All go right, ahead, Mace. Do, we got we to speed round some of this here with uh, Vic coming in a few minutes. Count Locula, 
The people that have never known the glory of the old D on the helmet need to soak it in on Saturday. Love the count. Are we talking about one-year-olds? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love I these. Well, we haven't talked about it this week, and yet it's the in the social media sphere, this is probably topic A. Oh, among Broncos gosh. fans right now is uh, is the logo and oh and how oh by the way the logo the the logo on the helmet this year apparently there's a, a little bit of a change so in, you don't have the negative space that would be the blue helmet you have like a, a white part of it between the horse and the D I mean this is the kind of thing people are getting hung up up about this week wow yeah uh, so did you notice Mace that they changed the logo a little bit from last year to this year. Yeah, that little yeah that that part of it like that used to be that used to be blue and now it's white. I have honestly I can't think of a good reason to change it. That might it might be as simple as just a a, a printing error. Yeah. Wow. Um, it could be honestly. I mean, I think it looks good though. It pops off the helmet a little more. Uh, you one of you should ask Vic about it today. Vic, was there a printing <laughs> error, and is that death by inches? <laughs> exactly someone That's, forgot oh. to install the uh the transparent background where it's white on the logo yeah. <laughs> they pro- probably like the, the the when they were cut when they were doing like the cut for the sticker they probably forgot to make sure there was a cut there and oh well that would be wild if it was a printing issue all right That's next what... one from broncos only who is mad about something um <sighs> What the heck is a Darren Williams good guy award for being willing to talk to a reporter? This seriously sounds just like a big local media circle jerk. Who wins the Akeem Tlaib bad dog award for being willing to rip someone's head off to set the tone for a big game? Yeah, I think you're missing the mark a little bit here. Um, a just, little? Yeah, uh, just <laughs> in terms of the definition of the award. The award was created in memory of former Broncos cornerback Darren Williams, who's passed away on January 1st, 2007, after completing his second team with the team, second season with the team. The honor is given annually to the Bronco, who best exemplifies Williams' enthusiasm, cooperation, and honesty while dealing with members of the press. This is not about the press being able to, you know, pat themselves on the back. It's about honoring the legacy of Darren Williams from the press who loved Darrett Williams because he was such a great dude. It's a way of honoring his legacy in that regard. It's not his only legacy, uh, but it was something that, the, you know, in, in Mace, you can speak to the inception of the award probably a little bit better, but, you know, it's about the media honoring his legacy from our perspective. And the, the thing that kind of comes up that is interesting about Darrett Williams' legacy on this is this is somebody who kind of learned through a mistake and, the moment that always jumps out to me with Darren on this is when he got torched by Peyton Manning and the Colts back in 06 as the Colts beat the Broncos in Denver. And he didn't talk to the media that day. And it was kind of made clear to him like, Hey, no, 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 you, you should. I mean, this is, you know, this, this is something uh, you need to do. And he, he realized the mistake that he made. And the next day talk, I think for like 25 minutes, in the locker room he uh, he understood pretty quickly that that was not the way to go about it and the rest of that season uh, was tremendous and he'd always been tremendous that's why it was a little bit odd that he didn't talk immediately right after uh, th- that loss so I mean you know we're not all perfect we all learn from we all learn from our experiences and Darren Williams did and uh, you know I'll t- and I mean he he all he was always except for that one moment he was always pleasant and uh, 
I think uh, it, it's worthy. It's it's worthy of him to have the award named after him. And I think also, in the wake of Darren Williams's death, I think we all just wanted to create things that would allow him to be remembered. You know, the Broncos basically uh, took the teen center at the Boys and Girls Club up in Montbello and put his name on it. There's this award. So these are ways that are keeping the spirit and the memory of Darren Williams alive. And, and that alone, I think, is worth it. And that's my favorite thing about this award is it means once a year, actually twice a year, because obviously we'll talk about him on January 1st, but once a year we get a chance to talk about Darren Williams. Uh, and my favorite part of the award when it's given out every year is Jeff Legwald, um, who obviously presents the award, telling a little anecdote uh, about Darren Williams, because obviously I wasn't covering the team when Darren Williams was here, and so I never got to meet him. Um, but yesterday he was talking about uh, how um, Darren got his third interception against Kansas City, and, and Leggy asked him about it, uh, and he said something along the lines of, if it's three, it's me. <laughs> and, you know, and then Leggy said, okay, well, what's four? Well, four is more. And just like, I, you know, it, it was you, – you kind of – the way Leggy told the story, I wish I could tell it as good as he did, but you, you felt like you were in there, you know, in the locker room next to Leggy talking to, uh, talking to Darren Williams. So it, it's, it's about honoring his legacy, not, you know, some, like, as in your words, a media circle jerk. Exactly. And, and Justin certainly is deserving the first three-time winner of that. So thank you, Justin. Amen. Next one coming in from Pig Tosser 66. Guys, the more I think about it, what this team has to overcome this season with injuries and no offseason, and then watch the, how this young team has grown and see the talent we have. It is clear that this team is consistent quarterback play away from being a playoff contender next season. The cupboard is finally full again. Obviously, Drew has a few more chances to show he can string together multiple good games in a row consistently, but from what, we has, from what he has put on tape, I want a full on competition next season i've decided and if that means a quarterback in round one so be it we have to keep swinging for the fences until we are 100 percent certain this position is solved i want to draft quarterback in round one and let them duke it out pick a guy you like not name fields or lawrence and then let the competition evaluate one of them and solve the position it's not like the guy who loses out is only going is going to have any value is not going to have any value and you still will be paying less than most teams on their quarterback room with two guys on rookie deals. We cannot waste 2021. This team is ready. Zach, I know you hate that idea. I do, because if you bring in a guy in the first round, he's your quarterback, without a doubt. You have to go all in on him. Yeah, that's the thing is if you're half in on one guy, half in on the other guy, you know, there's a very slim chance of both of these guys being – uh, perfect fits for the same offense um, so we talk about this every week on this show you have to cater your offense to your quarterback you can't do it twice remember when they were uh, when Paxson and Trevor were in the competition and whoever was the uh, coordinator at the time I believe Mike McCoy was saying like well we're we're building an offense that plays to both of their strengths and it's just like, okay, well, you're building a crap offense then. Uh, and lo and behold. And, and it was. It was. So um, you got to bring in a guy and cater everything that you do to what they do. And especially as a young guy, get him as many reps as possible. And also, if you're bringing in a guy in the first round, it means you love him. You're doing this if you bring in a guy in the second round or something. Right. The last thing you need is to be in week three talking about, well, they didn't have to split all those first team reps in training <laughs> yeah. camp. Maybe they'd be further along right now. Yeah.
Next one All from right. the other, Ryan. My boys, this week, Stefan Diggs, in reference to Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, said, I don't want to reach when I say this, but they're going to be a damn good duel. Who ends up with more touchdowns by season's end, Judy or Hamler? Do you think that teams will continue to take Judy away, which will continue to provide more opportunities for Hamler and Tim Patrick? Or are teams' hands now going to be forced, thus allowing Judy more room to operate? Have a terrific Thursday. DNB Army salute. Well, uh, it's 3-2 to two right now, is it? Hamler over Judy? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I will say that Hamler finishes with the most because I think that teams are going to continue to say, Drew Locke, go ahead. If you can beat us deep, we'll let you have it. Now, I think if he hits two more this week, then that might change, uh, change that narrative. But I think teams are more scared of Jerry Judy still than they are of KJ Hamler, and I think it'll open up a couple more opportunities for KJ. I agree. Well, in this game in particular, you ask yourself – who's Tredavious White going to be on? I think it's more likely he's on Judy than on K.J. Hamler, at least at this point. And so that's why I think you got to go with K.J. Hamler on the touchdowns. Yeah, Is so Trey White legitimately a uh, don't-throw-here guy? Pretty much for Drew, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, heck, he's made the Broncos pay in recent games. So, yeah, not staying, you're, you're staying away from him. Uh, it seems like this could be one of those moments where uh, that Chad Johnson was talking about where Bill Belichick uh, came to him during warm-ups and was like, enjoy these because I'm not letting you catch any today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Ocho Cinco was like, what? Are you serious? Come on, man. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Amazing moment. Next one from LDJ. Wow, Drew got a baldy breakdown from Brian Baldinger. That's high praise. The offensive line looks incredible watching it. And I wonder, out of all rookies and wide receivers in general, where Judy, Jerry Judy places and getting first downs seemed every single play Jerry Judy catches is for 20 yards or more, getting first downs. Wow, I have that. LDJ. Uh, I know, and I have that stat right here. Jerry Judy among the 100 and 49 pass catchers with at least 25 receptions, guys, ranks sixth. A first down percentage of 77.5%, right behind DK Metcalf and Mike Evans, who are sitting there at four and five. Good company. Yep. And uh, DK Metcalf um, drops the ball more than Jerry Judy, but doesn't hear about it nearly as much. (laughs) And by the way, and this is also tied into last week, number one in the league in this stat is DJ Moore for Carolina. And that's what they were without on Sunday. Mm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, did you guys watch the Baldy breakdown? No, no, I have not yet. It's worth, it's worth your time. Really good stuff. I always, yeah, like, seems I like, always like his stuff. Um, he always does a great job. All right. Before we get out of here, shout out again to msudenver.edu slash online where you can further your education uh, and do it in a way that makes your life – that is not invasive on your life. Um, MSU Denver students work twice as many hours as students attending any other Colorado institution, which means you can get that education while working a full-time job, which is a pretty great luxury to have. So check them out, msudenver.edu slash online and see all they have to offer. But for us, that's going to wrap it up. No Todd tomorrow as tomorrow is like a Saturday. We will be with you on Saturday for the tailgate in the morning. You can check out. And then of course the post game show after the game. Uh, everyone, we'll talk to you then.